Members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. All right. Any last questions? Not here. Okay. All right, then. So let's see now. Let's go in there. This is going here. And, uh, well, finally. Okay, here we go. Everyone ready? Everyone's there. I know you're there because I've been talking to you for... I I need more ice. 20 minutes. Let let me me look one more time. Yeah, I'm still here. (laughs) Yeah, you're still here. (laughs) David, you're sitting... And I'm going to... Well, I'm going to get way out of order here. But, Dave, you're sitting, as I understand it, you're sitting tonight in the front window of a coffee place in Indiana, right? Yep, my hometown, Jeffersonville, Indiana. So this is like uh, this is like when the radio shows like go on location, you know, and they all get in the window of some outfit and people stand outside and watch them talk on the radio. Is that what's going on down there? This is this is like the movie Gross Point Blank. Yeah, yeah, that's not far off. Or is this yeah. more like the episode of Star Trek where Captain Kirk was a captive in a human zoo and people were like, <laughs> or or is it more just like a Hopper painting? Yeah, that's what well, if uh, if we get much closer to the primordial screams I was uttering earlier today, it'll be more like an Edward Hopper painting. <laughs> oh, ain't family great. Welcome, folks, to episode number 61 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Yay. Podcast. We are recording this episode on Thursday afternoon, December 27th, 2007, and uh, we've been having some fun dealing with some technical issues. We've got a whole big gang in their virtual hangar this evening, and that's led to a, a few little, uh, a little extra challenges, but uh, we're going we're gonna to marshal on through here and, and, uh, and uh, have, have a good time here. So uh, let me... Marsh, uh, marshal on through? Mar- is that the right word, this word? Like, march, march on through? No, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's march. I mean, we're, whatever it is, we're going to do it right on through and... Uh, right on through. And keep going. Let me say hi to the rest of the folks here in the virtual hangar this evening. That voice right there is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist, currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. And he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm fine, Jack. Uh, good evening. Uh, good evening to Dave and to Amy and to uh, James and uh, all of our listeners out there. I hope everyone had some good holidays and uh, Got you know a new headset or a new chart case or you know a new engine or new airplane or something the, uh, under the Christmas tree to make it all worthwhile. Next on the list here, uh, James is out there. James Winbrandt is with us this evening in the virtual hangar this afternoon in the vir- virtual hangar. James is an author, is an author and aviation journalist, and he's talking to us from the, his home in New York City. Hi, James. How are you doing? It's great to be with all of you in the holidays and uh, kind of get together in the hangar to kind of. Get off of the uh, family stuff for a little while. Uh-huh. Yeah, really. Yeah. Also, Amy Laboda is here. Amy is a hello, f- hello freelance aviation writer and the editor in chief of Aviation for Women magazine, and she's talking to us from her home in Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy. Hi. How are you? Yes, the kids are swimming in the pool again. Sorry uh, about that's that. That's right. Amy has warned us that she's going to need to sneak away from time to time throughout the podcast to deal with various family issues. You're baking. Is that what you're doing? 
No, I'm cooking lasagna for dinner because uh, it appears that I'm the only one capable of doing so in the house. <laughs> Did you make it's enough for all of us? Let's just leave it at that. Did you That's make a enough? smart bunch there. Did you make enough for all of us, huh? You're going to share? I did. In fact, I made enough to keep Mars alive for another week because I'm leaving tomorrow for just that amount of time. Uh, I hear you flew up and uh, visited with Jeb the, uh, a couple weeks ago. and uh, We did have a delightful lunch. What do you yeah. think, Jeb? Huh? Absolutely. We're going to have to go back to that place again. I'll tell you People what, Venice has a there. lovely little airport cafe. Yeah. I actually have two uh, restaurants on the field. Uh, that little cafe we were at, and then there's a larger mm-hmm. one uh, uh, over in the center of the ramp. But uh, next time, you know, it's on me. I get to come down and uh, uh, sample the, the wares in Fort Myers or Punta Gorda or wherever you choose. So. Yeah, that's true. Actually, if you come into Fort Myers, we'll sneak you in, and uh, you, we can go around the corner to my brother's deli and have lunch. It's oh, right across the street from Sounds Pageview. good. That there you sounds go. good. What's the name of his deli? Uh, Miami Connection. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Give, give a little plug there to all of our yeah. listeners in Yeah, Fort I'll let Myers. them know I did that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, of course, out there is Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. He's traveling today. He, as I mentioned earlier, is talking to us from, from Perkfection, a coffee place in Jeffersonville, Indiana. My hometown, merry, happy, ho-ho, everybody. <laughs> but you didn't get your mom broadband, right? So this is why you have to sneak out to the coffee place. I bad, didn't get my mom bad. broadband because I didn't get my mom a computer, but she does have a new set of brakes on her PT Cruiser. Uh, <laughs> it was tough to get them into the stocking, but we managed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I Support am, hose will hold them. And I am Jack Hodgson. I go close to that. <laughs> I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer, and I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. So we're all together here in the virtual hangar, and this is kind of a little bit of a special episode, a special edition of uh, Uncontrolled Airspace. What we're going to do today is, uh, this is the final episode of uh, 2007, and we're going to go sort of back in time and talk a little bit about some of the notable, big, important, fun, interesting, whatever stories from the past year. Uh, Whether or not we talked about, we talked about most uh, things I think we're going to talk about, we talked about on the podcast, but but, uh, we're going to go back and just kind of review the year and see what happened and see if we made any progress, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> so, like I said, we're just going to go around the table and, uh, and kind of uh, invite people to tell us what some of the what big stories were and uh, see where it takes us. So, uh, and 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 losing the coin toss was Amy. <laughs> were you like that in school when, when you're in school? You know, when you're in school and everybody had to like do the the the, the you know give the report by standing in front of the class and and you never wanted to be the first one. I just never wanted to be the first one, which is ironic because now I have such a huge ego. I would always want to be the first one. Mm. Amy. <laughs> you just did that because I'm the girl. I just want you to know that. Did what because um, of the girl? Well, there is a lady's first element to it, but Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'll yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll Oh, you know, not argue with Jack's flipping of a coin. Or a- Amy, we used to call folks in your position the wind dummy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> On Amy. that note. Amy, tell us, was, what do you think, what, what was one of the big stories of the year? Well, I'd like to uh, start at the end of the year with something very fresh in everybody's mind, which is, isn't it amazing how all of a sudden, when when the legislatures in our nation's capital get together and decide they want to do something, they just do it? Uh, I'm talking about the age um, 65 rule. 
passing. Mm-hmm. When somebody but, said, well, now why is this in the FAA reauthorization bill? There's no way we're going to pass that before the end of the year. But, hey, we could pass. Do I need to go so further? Are, are you suggesting that – oh, I, I see what you're suggesting. Okay. So tell us what, why, why – but so, yes, they kind of made it happen for whatever reasons they made it happen. But why is it a big story? Well, I think it's a big story um, for a couple of reasons. If you are working for an airline that does not have a pension plan anymore and recently lost a pension plan, you're probably one of those pilots who feels like they need to work another five years to fund their 401k, which is all you probably have left for your Hmm. retirement, that maybe you weren't paying quite as much attention to because you didn't think you needed it so much for retirement right. because you had a pension that you don't have now. Right. Are you following well, me? So the, so the pensions pension have just gone away? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, James, what did you say? Uh, so, I mean, this was a promise made to these pilots, and suddenly it's like, hey, guess what? That pension that you've been saving for or that was in part of the contract, you're not getting it. That's It's just gone? Yes, Bullshit. sir. That's how it works in it's- bankruptcy. It's called Chapter 11, and uh, I don't know, you know, about, you know, Delta, for example, is just coming out of Chapter 11. United went through it several years ago, and I know, you know, a couple of United pilots who um, no longer have a pension, or they have a sharply reduced pension well, what, as a, a result lot of, of the got, Chapter 11 process. And a lot of the, a lot of these pensions were pushed off on the Federal Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp. Mm-hmm. Yes, which cut they, them in half by 50 percent. No, 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 not 50%, Dave. That's actually inaccurate. Um, any The pilots, because their pensions were fairly high, um, yeah. oh, do yeah. not get – that. they end up actually somewhere close to 25 to 30 cents on the dollar. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Well, and, and that's uh, negotiated. It was originally 10 cents on the dollar, and then everybody said, whoa, do you realize what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Well, and there's and, a, there was a catch in this whole thing, too. Uh, according to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp rules, you can't draw a pension at 60. You can only start drawing at 62, but the FAA regs required you to retire on your 60th (laughs) birthday. And a lot of these guys were looking at basically a two-year black hole during which they were forced out of their old job and blocked from starting to draw the old retirement plan because a it no longer existed and what did exist wouldn't let them draw it until 62 so mm-hmm. uh i had a, a just a dumb convergence of luck on my uh, trip out here from uh, wichita on sunday uh the uh first leg uh on my trip uh i found myself seated next to a longtime friend of mine who happens to be a, a continental 767 first officer and we were talking a little bit about this uh, you know, he was pointing out that, uh, you know, some, some of his younger, he, he's in his uh, latter 40s. And he said, it was funny, a few days ago, I was looking at, uh, you know, 12 years until I was forced out. Uh, now I'm looking at uh, 17 years. He said, but a lot of us aren't planning on staying those extra five years. Right. Uh, right. We're going to do the uh, maybe an extra couple of years and get out. He admitted it was going to slow down his uh, his transition from uh, a first officer to a captain, but he only expected it to slow it down by a few months. 
but the long and the short of it was that uh, him and some of the others are going to need more time to earn back a little bit more of what they lost in uh, in bankruptcies. So, yeah. And as Amy pointed out, it's amazing what can happen when. Uh, well, I, actually, I think this was a convergence with a parallel universe. I don't really think this happened <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> well, I, I'm still trying to figure out why it happened, and you know what the what the urgency was there. Um, November two thousand and eight. That's well, the urgency. It, well, well, I don't disagree with you, but and that's always you know we're they're always looking to the next election, but you know what was the constituency for doing this now? Um, I, I kind of wonder if mostly if, if it was driven mainly by Ikeo stuff. I know? think actually, I mean, Jeb, I can answer that. I think the airlines discovered that they couldn't get enough pilots fast well, enough to fill go. the void yeah. and they had to stop these guys from retiring and once it occurred to them a they couldn't ramp up and train fast enough and these guys are retiring and you know we've, we've been seeing this coming down the pike now oh, yeah. they've just put the the airlines that do have pensions just put off having to give these big disbursements and lump mm-hmm. sums for five years. Now that won't work for everybody, but it's going to work for a certain amount. And the airlines that don't have that, but and and, and I might use the word Delta here, <laughs> um, but have a huge number. We're talking in the thousands yeah. of pilots about to retire. Who the pilots need to work, the airline needs them to work. Where's the downside here? Mm-hmm. Well, right. no, yeah. no, but let, let me, that's my question, I guess. There's another element here. We're, we're happy but, for all ahead. our friends in the airlines and how this is probably a good thing for them, but it, what's the impact, positive Bobby. or negative, on general aviation here? Uh, the, the, the impact on, on general aviation is probably pretty neutral when it comes to the um, age 65. Now, it does help with um, charter and things like that. It, it's bumping all those rules. Anybody, not just airline, but you know anybody who's flying a turbojet that would have been limited from the captain seat in the past um, no longer has that limitation, um, or it's pushed out to 65. But um, one of one of the things that I think moved it through com- Congress was were the airline lobbyists. I think that's what suddenly got everybody's attention. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, very reasonable as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I, I've been talking. I, I I know I've had conversations offline. I don't know if I've if we've talked about it much on the podcast in recent uh, episodes about uh, the pilot shortages out there and we've talked uh, I, I know I've talked uh, a little bit about uh, some overseas um, carriers you know, some countries are looking at you know um, 250 total time 350 total time 10 hours multi and you know, and you can you can fog the the mirror um, <laughs> and, 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 and want to be trained to, to ride right seat on uh, on turbine equipment. Uh, here in the U.S., and this is this is no joke. Um, Five hundred total time and, and um, uh, a fresh multi or a fresh AT or not even an ATP because you can't get an ATP at five hundred hours. Um, a fresh multi in five hundred hours total time, and they'll put you in the right seat of an RJ if you can, you know, walk your way through the the interview process. And uh, I've I've talked about you know friends who are left seaters and and they're riding with these these five hundred hour wonder kids. 
um, unscheduled operations. And well, uh, that's that's a far cry from what it used to be, boys yeah. and girls. Clearly is. James, why don't you wrap this up? Because we've got to move on. Go ahead. Well, I said there is uh, on uh, Salon.com, the, uh, you know, the e- there is a uh, Patrick Smith who writes a column there. He's an airline right. captain. And uh, he was bringing up that, that very point, Jeb, about the fact that uh, now they're hiring people at 300 hours. Mm-hmm. His point, though, was that as long as they are properly trained, mm-hmm. He doesn't see a problem in terms of a safety issue, that if they well, can't cut it in the training, they're going to wash out. They're not going to be sitting in that right seat when they're actually people in the back of them. There's, there's no I question agree that's, with that's, you. That's, that's true. Um, and I'm not suggesting that there is a safety problem. I'm suggesting that there is a supply problem. Mm-hmm, uh, definitely. But, you know, at, definitely. At the, sa- at the same time, um, you know, 20 years ago, if... if um, they were accepting 500 uh, hours in a fresh multi. Uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation because I, I'd, I'd be I'd have an airline career. Uh, but uh, you know, back then it was 5,000 hours, and and you had to be an Annapolis graduate. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeb, let me just say, given what has happened uh-huh. and the salaries, you're fortunate that they weren't. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, now, is, is there a safety issue? Um, uh, nominally, not, no. not until not till there is. Not till there is. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. That's Thank right. you very much. Yeah, that'll be my last. Not, word not until there is. And, uh, and uh, when the day when the day comes that one of these low time guys finds himself as the sole occupant of the cockpit, able to manipulate the controls, then. Uh, it's not going to be just skills at passing the interview process and the check ride and knowing all the right answers. It's going to be a combination of judgment and experience. Uh, that I, I'm sorry, I don't see it coming in 500 hours or 700 hours. Uh, that's that's why those higher minima were in place to begin with. Because as we've talked about on this podcast before, uh, you know, one of the guy, one of the things that most bites GA pilots even fairly high-time GA pilots, is a limited amount of experience in conditions that taxes their judgment. Right. And you learn that judgment by surviving mistakes. Unfortunately, you know, you, you, nobody gets through this without making a mistake from, from time to time. And in general, general, we survive them and learn from them and move on. And that's what worries me about this, is that this isn't going to be a safety issue in a two-man or a two-person cockpit environment, but when the day comes, and it will come, when one of these low-time wonders finds himself prematurely thrust into PIC and sole occupant, we're going to be hoping that uh, they have superior judgment and never forgot a bloody thing that they learned along the way, because they're going to need it all. Let's move along here. Uh, Dave, you're up next. What story you thought was interesting last past year? Oh, boy, where to begin? Uh, You know, GA manufacturing has just been so uh, off the scale healthy the last few years. Uh, You know, with the exception a little bit of a slight decline in piston single shipments in the last few months, uh, we've had the the onset of the uh, VLJ movement at last with the uh, certification of the Citation Mustang and the uh, final certification of the uh, uh, Avio NG system on the Eclipse 500 that will let them start shipping those in great numbers. Uh, the LSA movement just 
really started to take off this year and go off the scale. We had Cessna buying Columbia Aircraft out of bankruptcy and uh, not only saving that company but adding some depth to their product line. Uh, it's just been a bodacious year to be in the business of, avi- of, of the aviation business. It truly is. Um, you know, this year, looking at piston move, uh, piston shipments alone, and and um, looking at the first nine months for the for the gamma statistics, uh, piston shipments are down. Uh, overall shipments of new aircraft uh, are up by fifty units. Uh, and of course, you know, business jets and and uh, um, are way up. Um, turboprops are are up uh, a good bit also. Um, piston aircraft again. These are numbers are for the first nine months of 07. We don't since we're still in 07. Of course, we don't have the finals. Um, piston shipments are down about 125 uh, on the year, or at least at the nine month break. So um, overall, yeah, we're doing great. That um, there are some some you know head scratchers in here. Um, the VLJ phenomenon um, is part of the reason the business jet numbers are up. Um, uh, the economy, like a small part. They're, yeah, I think I think the point. yeah the overall economy, of course, is is another head scratcher, and uh, uh, I would dare say that uh, maybe the 08 numbers won't be as good as 07. Um, but um, uh, so far. Uh, so far, so good in 07, uh, at least especially when, can, when we look at 06. Well, there's been a fairly significant shift in the, uh, in the uh, uh, market buying business jets in the last couple of years. Uh-huh. And w- at one point in this business, the rule of thumb was that 50% of the market for any airplane that you came up with was in North America. Right. Mm-hmm. U.S., Canada, and to a lesser extent, Mexico. Uh, what we've seen in the last couple of years is a significant shift to the export market outside North America, picking up a lot of this slack. Uh, the growth in business jet sales in the United States has slowed, but the growth in business jet sales to uh, foreign customers is just off the scale. And uh, we're looking at the possibility that the, uh, the business jet community will get over uh, – uh, 1,000 deliveries mm-hmm. for the first time in 2008. Mm-hmm. If it didn't hit it in 2007, it's not inconceivable. They're going to be close. Well, and, and, of course, the economy, the economic uh, situation works a lot of different ways. The, the, the dollar is way down in comparison with the euro, with the, with the Canadian loonie, with uh, uh, the Australian dollar, and, and with a number of other currencies, including the yen. So um, to the extent that foreign, manufa- foreign manufacturers of airplanes have business jets and, and business aircraft available uh, uh, in their market, um, it is certainly advantageous for a foreign purchaser to buy something made in the USA. Um, of course, I'd like to think that uh, um, it's a better aircraft, but that's that's just me. You know, clearly the engines, the avionics are generally going to come from North America. Um, that said, um, it's going to be touch and go in 08, I think, still. Um, two, uh, in 07, great year. Great year so far, and and uh, we'll look uh, very closely at the uh, the final 07 numbers when they come out from Gamma, probably within the next couple of weeks. 
Well, it bears well in that here uh, in terms of the piston shipments, that when we talk about the gamma numbers for piston airplanes, that doesn't include the light sport aircraft shipments. That's true. It does not. And I kind of wonder, you know, to what ex- to what extent, if any, uh, uh, the piston shipments are down uh, to LSA or this, the uh, light sport aircraft segments yeah. benefit. And I don't know that those numbers are reflected in, in gamma's numbers. Uh, I, I'd certainly want to be educated on that. In the piston end, we've also uh, seen a, a couple of milestones with uh, one of the venerable manufacturers this year. Uh, Beechcraft celebrating the 75th anniversary of the company, 75th anniversary of the Staggerwing, and 60th anniversary of the Bonanza, which continues to be in the uh, mindset of GA pilots, a top-of-the-line aircraft, and rightly so. But here's an aircraft that is 60 years old. Obviously, it's somewhat different from the ones that were made in 1947, much more powerful, uh, much more capable, but it's, as they proudly say, the same airplane. Is that the fact that it's 60 years old and this fact that the Mooney and so many haven't changed? Is is that one of the reasons why piston sales are done? Is this a good thing, a bad thing? Is it inevitable? I mean, did they hit upon these designs that were so right on the first time that there's really that little room for improvement? Uh, I think in the case of the, the, the two vintage or, or legacy airplanes, maybe would be the better word that you, you referenced, James, I think, yeah. Uh, they did hit the right formula the first time around, and that's why they remain so popular. Um, that said, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of aircraft that were very popular 20, 30, 40 years ago that are no longer in production, that are no longer um, um, really all that viable. And I'm not going to name any names, but uh, they've really been replaced and supplanted perhaps by things like the Cirrus and things like Columbia's. And um, and we'll talk a little bit more about Columbia in a moment. Um Diamond um, is, as I really one of the up-and-comers here. I think that they, uh, uh, I think they're they're not even where anywhere close to peaking, uh, whether in North America or worldwide. They've got a lot of different, uh, very innovative airframes coming out. A lot of innovative power plants uh, 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 sitting in those airframes. Um, it's it's a very interesting dynamic. It's a very interesting market, and you know who knows you know the. The, the 40 years from now, what uh, what we'll be talking about on this podcast. Well, in terms of milestones, this is the 80th anniversary year of Cessna aircraft. It's the 50th anniversary year of the Cessna Skyhawk. Uh, it, you know, that's another airplane uh, like the uh, uh, Bonanza we were just talking about that uh, really hit the mark so well for its target back in 1957, uh, and as Jeb pointed out, it, it, it's a different Skyhawk today than it was in 1957, yeah. and yeah. you can get things like you know, the G1000 uh, Garmin all-digital integrated panel now, and, uh, and uh, systems are more sophisticated, the finish is nicer, they're quieter because of lower RPM, red lines on the engines, and many things like that. But at the end of the day, it's still fundamentally the same airplane with fundamentally the same performance and the same handling traits. It's made it the biggest single model seller in the history of GDA. Didn't they just pass a, a nice milestone, too? Didn't I see a piece that uh, they, passed, uh, they shipped the 5,000th 
what Skyhawks no, since yeah, had a, since they since, resumed building them? Since, five thousand pits and out of Independence. Yeah, yeah, five thousand pits. Yeah. But I, I, in, stop me anywhere in here if I'm wrong. But hasn't the Skyhawk been produced in more numbers than any other airplane? In more than any other airplane in history. That's what I've heard. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely period. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and in uh, in the last uh, well, as of the middle of summer, '07, the uh, light sported aircraft community had seen. Uh, about 1,100 special light sport aircraft added to the FAA registry, and that's oh. on top of what the Gamma manufacturers had reported for those for, the, for those periods. No. Uh, so it's clearly there's interest out there. There's people joining. Uh, there's people learning to fly light sport. They're buying the aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that some of these other manufacturers are seeing a slowing. I don't believe Cirrus is seeing anything slow down whatsoever. I don't think they are either. And, uh, you know, nowadays on the frequency, I don't know, you know, some of our listeners uh, uh, who fly a lot would probably echo this, and, and uh, I'm sure those of us here who, who are flying a lot lately also. But, you know, nowadays on the frequency, you, you know, it used to be rare to hear a Cirrus. Now it's uncommon not to hear a Cirrus on the frequency. Yeah. I, I, see I agree. I can remember I them not knowing what they were. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, of course that was you know back in the old days the f the first ones were twenties. Um, now you just know by the the way, um, shall I say, the way he keeps up with uh, the f the frequency changes that you're going through, <laughs> that uh, it's an SR twenty two. Um, that's right. And and uh, um, that's a, a good thing. Generation three SR twenty two is yeah. what's rolling out of doors in Duluth. That's nowadays. right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Let's move along here. Um, James, you're up next. Yes. What was, a, what was an interesting story for you this past year? Well, I think uh, among them, I, you'd have to kind of uh, include the Green Revolution, even though we're just kind of seeing the tips of it touch the piston end of the marketplace. The Green Revolution is alive and uh, starting to grow in general aviation. Uh, right now, it's more at the turbine end. 2007 saw a number of fractional uh, card programs, charter operators, and even one OEM, Bombardier, roll out uh, carbon offset programs for their customers. Most of them are voluntary. Uh, however, uh, NetJets has instituted a compulsory program where the uh, customers are going to pay several thousand dollars a year over and above what they had been paying to pay for carbon offsets. And uh, some of the programs, that some of the uh, carbon offset companies, these aren't uh, nonprofit organizations, they're businesses that sort of act as the middle people, are uh, moving into the piston end. I, I think of like TerraPass and Native Energy, where if you call them and you can talk to them and they will work out a carbon offset program for you, which is, by the way, much more based on actual numbers. If you go on Expedia or Orbitz, you can calculate your carbon offsets for a commercial flight that you're going on, but that's very much a guess, whereas yeah. as pilots of our own airplane, we actually know how much fuel we're burning and we can calculate precisely the carbon uh, dioxide that we're outputting and then the requisite offsets we would need. So this is something uh, that's increasingly going to be a part, I think, of GA. If, if not people doing it on their own volition, you're going to hear more and more people saying, hey, what about these people flying around polluting the air? Why aren't they doing anything about it? And so I think this is uh, just going to become more and more top of mind uh, within the GA community. 
and, and there's more to it than that too. Um, there are a lot of um, um, we've talked about some some of the issues coming to the fore. There have been petitions submitted to the United States Environmental Protection Agency to do away with Hunter Lowlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there have been some other petitions uh, addressing, um, uh, I believe, jet fuel and uh, contrails and the the uh, um, jet engine emissions at high altitude, which. Uh, uh, there's still some head scratching going on to determine, I think, their exact uh, uh, impact on the environment. Um, there's, there's also, um, uh, I've seen the discussions uh, 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 with respect to the military and how they, the military, wants to try to move to a, um, a more synthetic or, or a more green uh, jet fuel uh, in the future for military aircraft. Excellent. Um, they're which actually is, already testing some of those. Yeah, fuels. they're already testing some of that. Um, I, jet fuel is a lot like diesel fuel. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we're going to start raiding Chinese restaurants and getting all their their used cooking fat to to throw into the next Delta mm-hmm. flight out of out of Fort Myers. But uh, um, you know, there's there's a lot of of uh, thought being given to some of uh, some of the alternatives, if you will. Uh, vis-a-vis uh, jet fuel and, and uh, certainly uh, Avgas. Uh, one, th- one other thought, though, is that uh, um, there's a lot we can do without alternative fuels. Uh, we can pull the throttle back a little bit. If you think about it, um, you know, burning, you know, say 14 gallons an hour versus 12 gallons an hour versus 12 gallons an hour, uh, if you slow down a little bit, Rather than going, uh, uh, you know, uh, firewall everything, everything on the firewall, um, you can uh, um, use conserve some gas. You might, you know, take you might take you 15 more minutes on a on a long cross country, but your fuel bill at the end of it is going to be a lot less if you've mm-hmm. you know, sl- slow down to best lift over drag airspeed or, or uh, you know some some uh, airspeed just above that. So there's a lot of things we can do uh, today. And I, I guess the final comment I would have is is you know in the in, lately in the, in the operation of uh, of uh, piston engines, there's been this revolution of uh, I'll, I'll put and I'll put the word revolution in quotes. There's been this revolution of uh, going lean of peak in cruise operation, and the idea there is uh, um, uh, lean of peak EGT, of course. Uh, instead of uh, of calling it lean of peak, now some people are starting to call it green of peak uh-huh. because. Because it does, in fact, save fuel. It does, in fact, result in cleaner combustion. And it does, in fact, result in fewer contaminants being uh, put through the exhaust system of the airplane and into the atmosphere. So all of that is good. Um, is general aviation or, or uh, whether it's business aviation or corporate or, or airlines or, or, or piston power GA as clean as, and clean and green as it can be? No. But it, but uh, the awareness is there, and we are working on the problem. Well, actually, in the, the turbine-powered community is in many ways well ahead of the piston-powered community mm-hmm. in this regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the last 20 years, there's been a huge improvement in the fuel efficiency of turbofan and turboprop engines. Uh, the advent of the full uh, uh, digital engine control system, FADEC, uh, lower emission from uh, from jet engines, lower fuel burns have already 
it contributed a significant amount to a reduction in the amount of fuel used per mile and the amount of emissions produced per gallon of gasoline or per pound of kerosene. Uh, so the, uh, the, the, the commercial airlines and the business jet community are not newcomers to this. Uh, they're actually in some ways ahead of the curve because saving fuel saves money. And there's mm-hmm. no outfit on the face of the world more adept at squeezing a penny out of saving a raisin than the airlines and the business jet community. Well, you know, how, you know, you know how copper wire was invented, don't you? No, but I think we're going to find out. <laughs> hey, Jeff, how was, how, was, how was copper wire invented? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Two airline pilots found the same penny at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. And went in that, opposite directions. That uh, in terms of the turbine uh, world being a little ahead, none of the piston manufacturers or even the light turbine uh, manufacturers, TBM, uh, Pilatus, none of them have even instituted an, a voluntary program for their customers. And they're not, you know, they're not hearing about it from customers. And in fact, at the turbine end that I was alluding to earlier, at the fractional end and the card programs, it wasn't because their customers were asking them. I think that they were looking overseas, seeing what was happening in Europe, where there is a lot more focus on this, and it led them to proactively take those steps. Uh, the GA, the piston manufacturers are behind the power curve on this one. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. The problem is that uh, uh, when it comes to the, you know, the basic piston uh, aircraft engine from from Lycoming or Continental, there's not a whole lot you can do with that other than. Oh no, from- I'm just talking about. I, just to, to tell their folks, hey, if, you, yeah, if yeah. you're concerned, here's the program. We've talked to TerraPass. We've set it up with them. Uh, you know, just for that. Yeah. A, a lot of it, frankly, would be cosmetic, but just to kind of get on board and start things moving in that direction. Yeah. Well, there are some solutions, some uh, uh, aftermarket potential for piston engines that will significantly reduce fuel burn. And in doing so, uh, reduce emissions and, and, and save you money. Uh, Unison's laser ignition system, for sure. example, sure. Uh, results in, in, in much lower fuel consumption. We experienced this on our Comanche. Diamond aircraft made that system standard on the DA-40 from the get-go. Uh, and when you start talking in terms of a gallon to a gallon and a quart an hour, uh, it doesn't take very many hours to uh, save enough at today's fuel prices to save enough to offset the cost of the ignition system. That's money back in your pocket, and it's less pollution into the atmosphere. Uh, the uh, uh, system that uh, Continental's uh, uh, affiliate uh, has available. Aerosense. digital. Right, Aerosense. Thank you. It's full mm-hmm. digital electronic engine control and right. fuel injection. Uh, has much the same effect. It reduces fuel consumption. It reduces the, uh, and in doing so, reduces the output of pollutants. So we're not completely without some steps that we can do to make ourselves, our aircraft, greener. No, uh, it's, uh, hopefully we'll see more of that uh, uh, adopted. And obviously one of the greatest boons to reducing carbon emissions Five and six dollar a gallon of gas. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's going to keep you from going. You, you're going to do the math every single time. But you know what, guys? I have done the math, and I have seen. 
that there are a lot of times when it makes a lot of sense to take my airplane. Now, which airplane am I going to take? You know, and that's why I get back to, you know, I, I look at my air, my kit box. I went to the East Coast and back. That's, what, how many miles round trip? Come on, do the math for me. Is it is it it's about uh, 300? Yeah. No, maybe 200 miles, 250 miles round trip. And I burned 10 gallons of Avgas. Well, that's less gas burned than in my car. There you go. That's exactly So why not take the gift box? And especially because auto gas now has, has closed the gap with Avgas price-wise. It really yeah, has. Yeah, it has. It really has. And, and, and uh, that's another conversation for maybe another episode. But uh, um, I can get Avgas here in Florida for under $4 a gallon. Um, if I'm buying premium on the highway, um, I'm paying you know three and a quarter, three thirty, three fifty. Um, I have two cars that that burn premium or require premium. Um, so yeah, you're starting to you're starting to get kind of fuzzy on all of this. And you now then again, I filled up in Manassas, Virginia, over the weekend, and they were like four ninety a gallon for hundred low lead, and eh, the weather was such that I didn't want to stop in route and fill up again. So. Uh, uh, I went ahead and bit that bullet, but um, yeah. well, and there's was, another I, step we can all take, and that's to put an end to the use of the number two lead pencil. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. On that note, moving on here. Now, you know, one would think that Jeb would be next, but no, Amy's next. Amy, what do you got? Well, actually, I'm thinking about all the people we lost this year. Yeah. You know, in aviation. Uh, and uh, the first one was last January with Bill Kirshner. You all know yeah. who mm-hmm. Bill Kirshner sure. is. Yeah, He's absolutely. a flight instructor extraordinaire. And uh, and we used to call him the spin doc. And the reason that we called him the spin doc was because he had the most documented spins in a Cessna 150 Aerobat. He knew every turn. He knew exactly what his Cessna 150 Aerobat, and he always qualified himself and said, my Cessna 150 yeah. Aerobat yeah. will do this on turn 10, on turn 12, on turn 15. Um, and he was a real guru, um, a mentor to me, absolutely, um, a sweetheart of a man, and um, an, an oh, he was excellent lovely. instructor all the way around. His books are still published. I believe they were picked up uh, recently by ASA. And uh, I still recommend to my students that they read them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Somewhere I have some email uh, from him gently encouraging, um, even more gently um, suggesting some some changes to some things that I had uh, uh, written and or edited and uh, it was uh, uh, quite an honor uh, frankly to uh, to hear from him and to know that he was a, a reader and uh, uh, he, he is definitely uh, missed and definitely will be remembered yeah. Nothing delighted me more than getting a phone call from Bill Kirshner, and he wanted to talk to me about something that I had written in a column. Nothing mm-hmm. delighted me more. Yeah. Some other folks we lost this year? Uh, Steve Fawcett, yeah, who Fawcett. only recently did they admit that he might, we may have lost him. Steve Fawcett, yeah. 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 Um, and Jim Leroy, uh, lost this year. Yeah. Oh, it was tragic. 
Yeah, in July, um, air show performer, correct? Just a little yes. bit too low from from an air show at the uh, Dayton Vectron Air Show, uh, that was very painful because it was only what a year and a half before when we lost um, oh, Yount. Masters of Disaster. Yeah. The yeah. Masters is a disaster. That's exactly right. So Up his act went away. He just happened to not be a part of the terrible accident that took them. Um, but now, just, a, just you know, a year and a half later, we've lost him as well. Um, Paul McCready. Yeah. Uh, yes. Al- Albatross. Mm-hmm. Albatross. The father of man-powered flight. That is mm-hmm. correct. The father of man-powered flight, but far more than that. What about the father of solar-powered mm-hmm. flight? Because he mm-hmm. was very involved with the NASA Helios project. Um, he was certainly an inspiration um, for electric-powered flight in aircraft. And where did we see that this year? Where did we see the, the beginnings of, of the ultimate green? Uh, that was at Oshkosh, well, at wasn't Oshkosh, it? With they the an- they yeah. announced, that's right. They announced the, the electric-powered uh, Sonics, right? Uh, we also lost Kevin Davis of the Blue Angels. And we don't really know what happened uh, to him either uh, yet. Um, Robin Olds. Yep. There you go. Mm-hmm. Any others? <laughs> Too numerous sure. to mention. A lot of a lot of wonderful people left us this year, but uh, <laughs> we will soldier on in their thoughts and and, and in their honor. Yep. Oh, absolutely. I can't think of, uh, you know, a more fitting tribute to Steve Fawcett to see in 2008 the first um, space tourists for uh, (laughs) space. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Moving on. So, Jeb, your turn this time. Yeah, yeah, my turn. Well, you know, I I keep coming back to to stuff that uh, some of our listeners uh, uh, may want to go ahead and hit the delete button right now on, but... uh, uh, you know, thinking about government and thinking about the FAA and thinking about Capitol Hill and, and this kind of stuff, they, they like it or not, and generally we don't like it, they always have an impact uh, on, on our flying. And uh, this year is, is certainly no different. I guess the, it's almost the story that wasn't. I guess, which is the user fee FAA reauthorization uh, story. No, it, it is and, the story that wasn't. They haven't done yeah, it yet. They haven't done it well, it's, yet. It's um, a cliffhanger. It, it is, it, it, it's a to-be-continued uh, uh, kind of episode. And, you know, to, to kind of bring everybody up to speed, um, uh, September 30, the um, existing statute, existing law, uh, authorizing the FAA expired. It's gone, it's dead, it's, it's kaput. Um, in its place has been a series of continuing resolutions uh, author, uh, passed by Congress which keep the FAA and, and a lot of other agencies of the government funded uh, in the foreseeable future. In the current iteration, it's we're funded through February 29. 08 uh, happens to be a leap year, so we're funded through February 29. Um, that doesn't address the user fee issue. It doesn't address uh, a lot of uh, um, below-the-radar issues of, of how the FAA will go about its business in the near term. Um, the user fee issue, of course, you know, directly impacts uh, um, not only how much we pay for gas, but uh, how much we might pay for filing a flight plan or uh, uh, landing at a tower facility or uh, uh, a lot of other um, uh, things that uh, the FAA or some other agency might find a way to, to bill at General Aviation for. Um, th- the punchline in all this is that... Um, um, the, the forces, the dark 
the dark forces, uh, the forces of evil, and and uh, um, the general aviation are at loggerheads on some of this. And uh, there are forces in Congress, both in the House and the Senate, that um, are also at loggerheads on on the issue of uh, uh, how the FAA will be funded in the future. Um, the House has passed its bill, H.R. 2881, uh, and most of this uh, now resides kind of sort of uh, on the Senate side of, the, of Capitol Hill, where the Senate has not passed a bill, um, and um, the future is, is clearly uncertain. Um, Jeb? Yeah. What about uh, this issue now? I'm hearing that the user fees, as far as the administration, is one aspect of it, but they are more opposed to the House version that would allow this reopening of uh, contract negotiations with the controllers. That's true. The Office of Management and Budget has put out a... uh uh, the Office of Management and Budget, for those who, who may not know, is is kind of the, um, uh, the, the accounting office for the executive branch uh, of the federal government. And the Office of Management and Budget has said um, that the FAA bill, uh, at least the House FAA bill, is veto bait, uh, as presently written, because A, it contains user fees, and B, it, it contains language that um, would give air traffic controllers... Um, and I don't know the exact verbiage to use here, but it would basically um, uh, roll back some of the FAA's um, advances in its contract negotiations with controllers over the last couple of years and uh, give the controllers a leg up on some of those uh, uh, negotiations. And, of course, this administration is violently opposed to... Uh, oh, I'm Fair gonna, play. I'm going to shut. Up. <laughs> I'm going to shut up. Uh, this administration <laughs> is violently opposed to uh, um, uh, giving uh, any um, any group of employees, uh, be it of the FAA or any other agency of the federal government, um, any advantage in in uh, dealing with the federal agency for which they work. So, um, oh, you are too kind. Uh, I'm trying to, trying to be diplomatic. It's the end of the year. You know, let bygones be bygones, that kind of thing. Um, suffice it to say that this battle ain't over with yet. Uh, not hardly. Not right. Now, now there, there's, one, there's one good sign. There's one good sign here. Yeah. Uh, as far as general aviation is concerned. And that has to do with Trent Lott. Um, Thank you. Republican senator from Mississippi uh-huh. uh, is resigning at the end of the calendar year. He's leaving the Senate. He was happens to have been the ranking uh, minority member, the senior Republican, uh, sitting on the Senate Aviation Subcommittee. The uh, chairman of that subcommittee, uh, uh, Rockefeller of West Virginia and, and Lott, had teamed up and had come up with this user fee scheme that would have bumped app gas prices 75 cents a gallon and, and done all kinds of other mischief. Um, Lott is leaving. Rockefeller uh, won't have uh, uh, a lot to pal around with in, in 08, and uh, he's you know kind of lost that much more footing. So that's a good thing for for GA. It's a good thing because Lot won't be around, and uh, Lot won't be backing up Rockefeller. Uh, there's there's a lot of people in the Senate side who are kind of gunning to try to get this thing done without user fees. Uh, and Lott and Rockefeller were gumming up the works. Well, well, the big bugaboo of what Lott and Rockefeller 
forced into the legislation during their committee's time when the markup was a $25 per filing IFR fee mm-hmm. that uh, was going to yes. apply primarily to, to jets and turboprops on the theory that they're flying expensive aircraft, they can afford it. But it was the, in the opinion of myself, uh, most of the alphabet groups and a lot of pilots, it was the nose of the camel getting in the tent mm-hmm. with exactly. user fees right. to begin with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, require somebody to pay to file IFR, you have you have at that moment sliced safety in half. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And well and then it still raised the specter of all these other problems that are indigenous to the idea of user fees to begin with. How do you collect the money? How do you bill? How do you account for? You need to have a bureaucracy in place just to do that as opposed to the very simple pay at the pump the refiner remits the uh, taxes. Uh, it's very simple. It's so many cents per gallon. We pay at the pump, and that's the end of it. It's a very, very minuscule cost to administer that system as opposed to any of the user fee schemes that we've heard about that are going to require billing, invoicing, collecting, accounting, and distributing. Setting up uh, this outs- bureaucracy, is, is, it's almost like they don't want us to fly airplanes what? anymore. <laughs> well, the GAO well, and, itself, and, and this from uh, from uh, uh, you know uh, uh, a group of politicians, they're constantly preaching about smaller government, less complexity, and lower cost. For them to be behind this kind of uh, bogus scheme to begin with, it kind of makes it hard to be in a holiday spirit whenever you think about them. Don't you well, think I, that? Don't you think that another part of the uh, the user fee reauthorization story, though, is the way all of the different constituencies in the GA community, uh, the GA absolutely. world, got absolutely got together? Absolutely, and, absolutely. and the, airli- the airlines have tried to peel uh, layers of this onion away from the the core of gen- what is general aviation. They literally it, tried to divide and conquer. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, right. did it. it exactly. They right. told and, Phil Boyer, "Hey, Phil, you guys are safe." Like, right. right. <laughs> and, We're going to you. Picking yeah. on the NBAA constituency, and to Phil's credit, to, to Ed Boland's credit, to, to the credit of everybody in the general aviation community, they all oh, hung yeah. together. Tom, Paul, Gresney, they all hung That's together. That's right. They all hung well, together, cause knowing that they would eventually hang separately. Yep. And um, they, they basically thumbed their nose at the airlines and said, come and get me, buddy. Yeah. And uh, more power to them. Well, and Amy was talking about Bill Kirshner and his mastery of the spin a little earlier. And I don't think we saw any kind of spin (laughs) more creative than than the garbage that came out of the Air Transport Association. And let me uppercase that whole word, garbage. The out-and-out lies that came out of their propaganda aimed at their passengers about how these poor uh, little airlines were being muscled out of the way by those big, bad business jet people, and it just wasn't so. Not an airline pilot I know. Wait, wait, where did did Marion Blakey go to work? 
<laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you. Hang on, before we move on here, James, you had you had something you want to jump well, in? Well, I mean, it was obvious, so obvious that the whole user fee issue was orchestrated by the airlines. But I still do not have an answer. Why was the administration so willing? With a GAO came out and said the studies show the system works as it is. What there's enough money to fund what you say we need to get James. done. Why was James. the administration? Yes. You it's called campaign contributions. Yeah. You make the Money of, makes the world go round. You make so the Jeb, mistake of thinking all of this is on the level. So Jeb, as as is usually the case from our federal government, there's more than one story here, right? There's, there's more than one story. Uh, two two other stories I think deserve mention. Uh, the end of the Marion Blakey era. Uh, Marion Blakey, who was administrator of the FAA for five years, uh, some would say five long years. Um, she, she, she left the agency in, in uh, September um, at the end of her five-year term. Um, uh, Bobby Sturgill uh, has been appointed or named the acting administrator. Uh, uh, there's now kind of a, a political uh, – uh, some, some political infighting going on about his confirmation. He won't be confirmed until January at the earliest. Um, if at all. If at all, uh, well, let's let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that that Sturger will be quali- will be uh, confirmed because he is qualified. He is a pilot, um, and uh, he's probably would, the best we can get in the current environment. Yeah. I so would and so Marion would see. I would so hate to see a change in trend for this outfit to actually start nominating qualified people for the appointees that they should <laughs> no, it's, not, it's not it's not going to happen it's not going to happen Jeb how yeah. would you so how would you characterize Marion Blakey's uh, era um, I would characterize Marion Blakey as a a qualified bureaucrat as someone who uh, clearly knows how to run a federal agency who clearly knows how to implement uh, the policies she's been asked to implement. How to carry um, water without spilling a drop. Right. Um, did she bring to the position um, uh, an imagination, a vision, a, um, a desire to improve the agency and improve the industry it regulates? Um, not so much. Um, she 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 did a, a yeoman's job in keeping the agency open and running, and uh, she had uh, um, you know when she came on board it was 02 in the aftermath of, of September 11 and you know there was a lot of challenges that she faced but uh, um, she, did she make any any lasting impression on the industry or on the agency? No. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ask well, any air traffic controller. Well, okay, uh-huh. but, but any lasting impression to the to the to the benefit of the agency? Now or the, that's a different question. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. And, um, and, and think, interesting for me is that after carrying all that water for all those months about the need for user fees, the need for a new funding paradigm, how next gen, that is the next generation air traffic control system, just wasn't possible without a new funding stream. Two days before she left office, you could see the shift begin. Yeah. Before she went to the Aerospace Industries Association, she warned the airlines that their scheduling practices, <laughs> excuse me, their scheduling practices were uh, uh, going to start to run into some problems with the FAA, and if they didn't solve it, the FAA would. And then in one of her earliest appearances as the head of the uh, Aerospace Industries Association. 
she basically goes up and says that uh, you know they need to solve this uh, uh, reauthorization, and uh, you know user fees don't seem like that big of a need after all. Yeah. How convenient. <laughs> Amy, or ja- Amy or James, you have any uh, take on uh, Administrator Blakey? Well, I I'm sorry. Go ahead, Go James. Amy. Go, James. Well, I was just going to say she did just the other day come out and uh, kind of out of left field and and tell Congress that they should go ahead and uh, approve the acting administrator. I'm not sure where that came from. Uh, And, you know, I was just sort of felt on a personal level a little sense of betrayal as seeing her all the time at Oshkosh every year and how she loved G.A. And then suddenly she turned around and stabbed us in the back at the end. Yeah, uh, you know it's interesting, but but not astonishing to me. No. Uh, no. On a personal level, she's delightful to be around. Yeah, that's not it at all. Um, she did, I think, what Jeb said she needed to do, which was carried out the mission that was assigned to her, and I believe that she's doing exactly the same thing where she is now. Absolutely. And if the mission's different, then okay, fine. That's my job. Yep. That's right. And she promised hired us. Hired gun is as hired gun does. And she promised us last summer that she was going to show up at Oshkosh next summer as a volunteer. So uh, are we taking bets here? Are we taking? Uh, we're not merely I, taking bets. We're holding her to this. I would be delighted. I bet your subscription to uncontrolled airspace. One final, one final comment on Marion Blakey. Yeah. Uh, as, as we've talked about on the on on the podcast, uh, I had the great fortune to uh, go for a ride. Uh, in a in a uh, an FAA uh, Global Express uh, bizjet uh, from Oshkosh last summer uh, to demonstrate the ADSB system, and Marion Blakey was along for a ride. Several other FAA officials were along for the ride, and um, we got into a long, wide-ranging uh, conversation about ADSB and GA and user fees and and uh, the whole uh, ball of wax. After the ride was over, we're we're standing on the ramp, leaning against some cars, waiting on on uh, people to, uh, you know, to to match up and say their goodbyes and all this kind of thing. And I'm talking with the administrator, and I said, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service to to the FAA and and serving as the administrator and and uh, you know in this role. And she kind of looked at me like that was the 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 last thing she expected me to say to her. I'm not suggesting that it was the, the craziest thing she'd ever heard or <laughs> the, the, the most outlandish thing that she had ever heard or that it was not what she was there for. But, but she, she did, she did you know, respond and she did acknowledge my statement, but um, it was not the first thing out of my mouth she expected. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if that's because you know, she's so... Uh, um, um, accustomed to the the inside the beltway mentality, or if it was just something that uh, um, she wasn't really into the service aspect of this, she was into it for uh, uh, other reasons. Yeah, Jeb, I think you had one more Washington story. I do, and that's really really quickly. The Washington eight is um, settled. Uh, yeah, boo, hiss. But the, but the story I mean, has it is made a, a difference. Has it really story, made a difference? No, with the story the, is it got downsized. It got downsized a little bit, and it got simplified a little bit this year. And in theory, yeah, that should have been yeah, a good but thing. How much of that? I mean, really, was it that big of a difference? Uh, the, the, no, it the wasn't. Area? It, it eliminated a couple of airports. 
from the eight is it? Um, Let, let's be uh, clear. It didn't eliminate the airports. It made them so those airports were outside of the eight is. Thank you. Well, what I said. Was, <laughs> <laughs> hey. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't nuke a few airports in the DC area. We didn't erase them from the sectional, but because we shrunk the size of the ADAs and simplified its its design a little bit, a few airports got uh, uh, the the um, uh, I don't know if it was a Labor Day present or, or what, but uh, a few airports were omitted uh, from the ADAs, uh, the Air Defense Identification Zone. Uh, 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 who, who other, which otherwise would have been inside the 80s. Um, instead of making it some mishmash of, uh, uh, you know, uh, map coordinates and all of this thing, they basically stuck with uh, the outer limits of the Washington and the Baltimore, uh, or the Washington-class uh, Bravo airspace. Um, the, the, the key beneficiaries of the redesign were airports uh, uh, to the north and east of, uh, of Washington, uh, in in Maryland, which are no longer in the Aedas, um, they also simplified a few things. They carved out uh, Leesburg, Virginia, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the only the only real fly in the ointment two two real flies in the ointment. One um, is they put in a uh, a speed limit rule for VFR aircraft of 230 knots within I think it's 60 nautical miles of the of the Washington VFR uh, VOR. Uh, it wasn't there earlier, and and I don't know too many uh, uh, VFR aircraft that can that can do uh, you know two thirty indicated, but um, um, the the other downside is they didn't do away with it at all. Uh, they didn't do away mm-hmm. with it altogether. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's been it was a temporary measure. Uh, I sat in an office at the TSA in the in O three and got lied to uh, by some people who. Uh, if I ever see again, uh, they'd better be wearing, uh, um, um, you know, so- something very protective. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Jeb, I, don't, I, I don't like to get lied to about this kind it, of thing. Jeb, uh, not this year, but the previous year at Oshkosh, Inhofe was there saying how he was going to hold these hearings and they were going to get to the bottom. What happened? It, it, Inhofe has been uh, um, at, a, at high altitude for too long without oxygen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> could you? Could you? Uh, yeah. Okay. Tell us what you mean by uh, that. It, 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 this is an 06, and in in Inhofe uh, uh, hit the show at the late in the show, and and held a press conference, and he's going to he's going to hold hearings and get to the bottom of this, and, and yada yada yada, and there hasn't been a single hearing. Uh, he hasn't gotten to the bottom of anything. Um, uh, the the eight is is a non-issue on Capitol Hill right now. Ah, uh, yes, shame. another not episode of it, the Outer Limits. Not <laughs> only is it a non-issue, but they've actually gone so far as to formalize the training that's required before you can go through that area. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Is that it for the news from Washington, Jeb? It is. It is as far as I'm concerned. You all feel free <laughs> okay. to chime in. Yeah. Um, Dave, you're up. Hi there. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to uh, – yeah, I thought one of the stories worth uh, reiterating, and I'm not going to belabor this long, uh, was the uh, inordinately – I'll believe that upbeat, when I see it, hear it. Inordinately upbeat and enthusiastic mood that we saw at AirVenture 2007. Uh, it was among the more extraordinary uh, shows in my experience in terms of the uh, – the audience being enthused, being excited, being uh, a, a venue to see some really 
great new products. Uh, it was not a perfectly safe show, unfortunately. Uh, but when you get that many movements in that small a place in that short a period of time, there's uh, almost uh, you know a, a statistical probability that somebody's going to bend something. But uh, the human element of it was probably one of the best that uh, I've ever seen. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that there's a, a continuation of that kind of attitude and that kind of enthusiasm going into 2008. Yeah. Well, here, here to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. The crowd, the, the, the energy at, at Air Venture this past summer was, was great. I mean, it always is great, but, but it seemed sort of on average a little bit higher than, than in recent years. The, to me, one of the great examples of this was that the final day was, was great. I mean, they changed it around so the final day wasn't a Monday anymore. It was a Sunday. And, um, but nevertheless, the final day, there were a lot of people there, even on the day you expected to be incredibly quiet. Um, the energy level was great. And of course, Uncontrolled airspace had a great time at Oshkosh this summer. Absolutely. So, well, yeah. yeah, of course we did. But but I think you're you're hitting um, the nail on the head when you're saying they change it to a Sunday. That's a weekend. People are going to come to that show on a weekend, even if it's That's the right. last day. Yeah, although, right. like I said, I've, I've put on shows, and, it, and the last days of events are bizarre things, and it's really funny, and in, in all the different kinds of events, aviation and non-aviation, the final day always dies for some reason. It's yeah, just, look at the last days of Pompeii. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, moving on. Jeb, what you got? I guess the only uh, the only thing I would really have here is, uh, you know, there's uh, another thing that's kind of happened out here this year is... Uh, uh, the the uh, consolidation of the flight service station system. Mm. Uh, it's it's not necessarily been for the good, uh, although we we certainly hope it saved uh, our, our, UCAP's favorite aviation agency some money. Uh, there's been a lot of frustration, a lot of angst, um, a lot of um, uh, delays, a lot of wasted avgas, uh, lost flight plans and clearances and everything else. Um, lost it's seen, no cams. Lost, lost no cams. Yes. <laughs> having to educate the flight service station briefer on on the regs and the notams and and the weather and everything else for that matter. I had a guy uh, not re- not not too long ago, last week actually. He was he was reciting all of this stuff, and I said, "Hang on a second. What you just told me, you know?" He says, "You know, I don't know what it was. It was a thunderstorm system." And he says. You know, right now it's moving from the southwest. In an hour, it's going to be moving to the northeast. I said, "Wait a second. <laughs> well, uh, I no. said, hang on, hang on a second, sir. I said, that's a distinction without a difference. I said, yeah, that just belies the old line. You right. de- you do need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Exactly right. Exactly right. Earlier so, in the year, so earlier in the year, this was really becoming a mess, and and this, not only this was a, not only this were, was a, yeah. Uh, Pain in the butt. Yeah, and not only it, were were people like us who are very active in the system aware of it, but it started to come to the you know awareness of of you know other levels of government and the media. There were and, a hill on this. Yeah, time. and and so then oh, yeah. it seemed like maybe it was getting better, um, and we and started to hear seemed, stories that it was, was improving. Where are we now? Is it? It seems to have reached an equilibrium. Uh, the consolidation apparently has all uh, completed. Um, the, the flight stays, uh, excuse me the flight service station briefers with whom I've spoken lately um, have you know some knowledge 
uh, there, there seems to be, you know, at least with my pre-stored flight plans, there seems to be some disconnect. Um, but uh, um, what I've encountered recently has been uh, um, pretty much business as usual. And, and by that, I mean, uh, yeah, there's, it's, there's still a little element of, of, of Keystone Cops here. Um, but there was always that element with the FAA going back, you know, into the good old days of the the eighties and and in uh, nineties. So, um, I guess my only punchline here is uh, there's not a whole lot we can have, we could have done about it. Uh, there's not a whole lot we did about it. There's not a whole lot we can do about it in the future. But at least in the foreseeable uh, future, at least for the time being, things seem to be tamped down. We have, un- you know, we do, we do deserve. We should right. give a little pat on the head to Lockheed Martin, with uh, to whom we've leveled some uh, some uh, small abuse over the last few months. That uh, they seem to have attempted to be attentive. They've attempted to correct some of the problems. Uh, I I didn't really see a big problem with the old flight service station consolidation that we got out of the Reagan administration largely because it was staffed by well-trained, well-experienced, knowledgeable people. And that's really where some of this took a hit, was in the uh, the uh, displacement of some of the old hands who didn't want to transfer and the need to hire new people and train them. And uh, I have some small confidence that in another few years, the people that they hired last year will know what they're talking about. Right. We have right. one of our listeners is uh, who we've heard from by uh, email on another subject altogether. Um, mentioned parenthetically that he is actually um, a, a briefer. He's a he's a specialist, a flight service specialist, and uh, and he kind of uh, off the record made a couple comments saying, you know, we didn't know the whole story, and you know, and and I've he and I kind of go back and forth a little bit on whether or not he could come on the podcast uh, and uh, and talk with us. We could always give him a Donald Duck voice and yeah, disguise him, couldn't we? Something like right, that. Absolutely. But, uh, absolutely. But, uh, talking to us from behind the black screen is right, exactly. Donald Duck. Yeah. But that, that invite is, is open to not only to him, but to anyone who is knowledgeable about the whole uh, flight service uh, situation and uh, can educate us, uh, you know. Certainly someone who, you know, anyone who disagrees with us on some of this stuff, we'd love to hear more about it. So, anyways. Dave, you got one for me? Just ADSB. Just ADSB. Uh, that's I mean, going to be my. That, that's going to be my, the end of my string for this episode. Uh, it is finally beginning to uh, be in in motion. Uh, in that the FAA issued a notice of proposed rulemaking earlier this year, back in I believe it was October, outlining the initial steps. Lest anybody think that this was the be all and end all, the initial steps of transitioning the radar-based air traffic control system to one that's based on uh, on uh, automated dependent surveillance broadcast. Uh, the, uh, the ability of an airplane to report its position, a GPS position, based on its own GPS navigator to air traffic controllers. Uh, they will get that data through ground stations. Uh, other aircraft with ADS-B in capability will be able to see those other aircraft. Uh, there are still huge questions unanswered. There are still significant steps to be taken. But uh, the FAA did start uh, start the ball rolling finally. And uh, uh, if I remember correctly, the comment period on this is still open. It got and, extended, uh, right? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, 
the uh, the bottom line is that for the FAA to move into the next phase, we need a technology beyond what we've used for the last several decades. Uh, there seems to have been, at least among the regulatory agencies and some of the uh, alphabet groups, a consensus that ADSB can be that solution. Uh, and some of that consensus is based on experience gained by United Parcel Service right across the river from where I'm sitting in Louisville, Kentucky, and by uh, the FAA and GA pilots in Alaska under the Capstone Project, uh, no longer in a in, in it being called that, it's been folded into the larger picture. Uh, contract has been let to uh, uh, put up for bid. I'm sorry to, uh, and, and I believe awarded to install the uh, 200 some odd ground stations that are going to be required to provide coverage around the country. Uh, installations are already underway in the uh, Gulf of Mexico region and along the southeast coast. Uh, it is the coming thing. But we've still got a lot of questions on how it's going to be implemented, how it's going to be integrated, and how the air traffic control procedures are going to be adapted to best take advantage of it. So it's, so we don't wind up with the same game being played on a different game boy. Yeah. Yeah, I really. It seems to me that that this is a story that that really has. You're right. There's a long ways to go. We we don't exactly know what it's going to be like in the final analysis, but it did seem to crystallize this year, and uh, and and so I agree that this has been a been a notable story over the last year. You other guys, Jeb, you're you're the one who's not wild about ADSB, or you you have your concerns, right? I, I'm I'm I remain to be convinced. Let's put it that way. I, I think ultimately what we need is a different FAA. Okay. Well, now, I, d- now, I don't that, know that's, that that's going to solve the pro- solve the problem. ADSB, you know, solve all the problems of the FAA. But I, I think that ADSB has the potential to um, take the air c- traffic controller out of the um, cycle a little bit and let airplanes self uh, separate. I would like to see that happen. Yep. Yes, I'd like I to see that right. happen mm-hmm. too. And if and if and if, and if that is. Uh, the end all and be all of ADSB. Uh, my my response is, where do I sign? Uh, after especially after the weekend I've had uh, with ATC, but uh, I'm not convinced. Um, I don't want to make this another ADSB conversation. Let's just say I remain to be convinced. Yeah. Well, one final note here, and uh, I wanted to take a, a, just a couple minutes to toot our own horn. I, uh, in, a, in a way, uh, in, a, in, a, in a little part of the universe, uh, Uncontrolled Airspace podcast is a, was a notable story throughout the year. Um, it's been a great year. It was our first, obviously, our first full year doing the podcast, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, looking back over, and I sat down this afternoon and actually went through and looked at every one of the show notes for all the episodes we did this past year, and wow. uh, it's, uh, it's an impressive body of work. I'm pretty proud of it. We did did, uh, in 2007, we did 51 episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace. Wow. Um, including, Does that count this one? Counting this one, uh, and in, of the 51, one was actually a double episode, so I suppose you might say we did 52 episodes, but but by number, by episode number, we did 51 episodes. Um, uh-huh. Any day now, or any week now, we will reach the point where we have done 52. We've done an average of one a week for a year, which is a milestone I'm looking forward to. Um, we covered a lot of ground in these podcasts, uh, in, in addition to talking about the weather and various adult beverages, which <laughs> was, was always fun. Um, we, we talked about a lot of things, and we spent this past hour and a half talking about, uh, you know, reviewing some of the things we've talked about in the podcast. 
Um, in addition to uh, uh, Dave and Jeb and myself, uh, we had 17 different people on in the virtual hangar. Uh, uh, James and Amy, of course. Uh, I won't list all the people here, but uh, but uh, perhaps a couple of the notable ones. Uh, John Burton, the president of Sun and Fun. Uh, Ed Boland, the president of NBAA. And Tom Poberezny of EAA were all guests in the virtual hangar this year, um, as well as a lot of other of our friends from around general aviation. So it's been great in that regard. Um, uh, I, I'm going to tell you what what I consider the most notable episodes, and I'd love to hear if you guys had some you want to add. Particular episodes, um, back in July, uh, we gathered together with a whole bunch of other aviation podcast folks and did Podcast Palooza. We participated. We didn't organize it, but we participated in Podcast Palooza, the gathering of the aviation mm-hmm. podcasters out in Oshkosh, and that was a great episode. Um, actual uh, UCAP episodes, one was uh, the uh, episode from NBAA, from the AV- uh, National Business Aviation Convention, where uh, not only did you guys, uh, or n- not Amy, I don't think Amy was there that day, but James was there, and uh, um, and uh, Jeb and Dave were down there in Atlanta, and they were joined by uh, Ed Bolin and Tom Polberesny uh, that, at, in that episode. That was a great episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the Sun and Fun episode, uh, which was the double episode that we did back in the spring from uh, Lakeland, Florida, was a blast. And my all-time favorite episode that we've ever done in Uncontrolled Airspace was the second of the two from Oshkosh this summer. Here, here. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, just a terrific. So we've done a lot of great episodes. We've got lot, great listener involvement. Um, members are, in addition to the mail, we get lots of great mail from people around the country and around the world. I mean, truly from around the world. That's, I mean, yeah. in so many ways, it's gratifying. But the fact that we have listeners in, you know, Europe and, and, and Australia and Asia, you know, is just, just very cool. And we have listeners. Yeah, well, yeah. But they're from all over the place, and that's terrific. And it's really fascinating to hear about the aviation experience from all over the world, not just from the U.S. We're also starting to get uh, uh, these new uh, uh, listeners recording their own versions of the UCAP intro, the little disclaimer at the beginning, and that's very cool. And uh, just last week, we had, we finally rolled out the uh, the UCAP forum, the uh, the discussion area on our website, and we're hearing from more and more listeners there who are uh, logging in and uh, and adding to the conversation there, posting new messages and replying to others. And uh, so it, it, it's been a terrific year. I'm I'm just thrilled with the, with what we've done here with with uncontrolled airspace, and I'm thrilled to have been able to get together with you folks on a weekly or an occasional basis. And uh, um, I think that was you know in its in its own way that was a notable story in 2007. I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that, but uh. you know, I was going to say, simply say I can't say it better than Jack said it. Um, it's it's been a, an honor and a privilege to be associated with this group of people and everybody in this conversation included, and, and everybody we've talked to uh, during the year included. Um, and I look forward to 08 and and uh, keeping up my end of the bargain. And for my part, you know, I still remember when Jack first posed this to Jeb and me, and and we looked at one another and went, "Oh yeah, people will tune in to listen to us BS." So uh, the fact that people do tune in to listen to us BS, uh, I'm just gratified beyond belief, stunned yeah. beyond belief. Uh, my mother actually thinks that uh, you know it's close to a real job. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's well, not get let's not get crazy here. Anyways, guys, thank you all for uh, getting together this week. Uh, but it's been a blast, and uh, it's very interesting to kind of wrap up the year and kind of get a perspective of the things that have taken place in, in, the, in the past year. And here's year. to your safe flying and wonderful destinations in 2008. Everybody get out there, exercise your privileges, and do it shiny side up. Eh? That's right. 
Here, here. I second that. Learn more about James Winbrandt and his work, all his writing. Uh, you can just kind of go to Google and uh, type in James Winbrandt, and you'll learn about all kinds of uh, his fascinating books and articles and things he's done over the uh, over the past. Also, uh, Amy Laboda, you can learn more about her work by going to her uh, magazine's website, which is wai.org slash magazine. That's whiskeyalphaindia.org slash magazine. Learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com. Dave Higdon at davehigdon.com, myself at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net, and of course, dot net. And of course, uh, visit all of us at uh, the uncontrolledairspace.com website. Check out the forums there and all the other good stuff. So, anyways, thank you everyone for joining us this afternoon in the virtual hangar, and we'll talk to you all again next time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Merry, happy ho ho, everybody. <laughs>